It's great to see you guys and be with you. Last week was super fun. Uh, and by the way, I love questions. I love emails. I love uh, Facebook notes. I love, uh, bless her heart, a gal like sent me a list of probably about 14 questions. And uh, I love it all. So one of the things, last week, if you weren't here, I talked about the lies hidden in our prayers and how I had prayed a prayer for about 25 years of my life that was filled with lies, unbelief, and falsehoods. And we systematically broke down all the different things that you know, we all hear and we repeat because we've heard someone else, someone else holier than us say it, and so we adapt that to our prayers. And one of those things was just the lie that I was trapped in that I would, I would move into an unforgiven state with sin. And that any sin that I would have during the day, I'd fall into an unforgiven state and have to, you know, get cleansed and get forgiven in order for me to be back right with God in this separated, unified, separated, unified uh, game back and forth in my prayer life. And so that was this fear, this unbelief that you could ever be unforgiven. And so I shared about how, like, that's the lie. We're forgiven once for all time. And so it's, it's a prayer of unbelief to say, God, would you forgive me of my sins? Because he's like, I already did. It's more victorious and faithful to say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving my sins. But one of the questions that was a good point in sharing the story is that people are like, well, so you don't believe that, you know, you can ever do any wrong? I, of course I can do sin, have things go wrong and all that stuff. But there's a difference between asking for forgiveness and repenting. So repenting means to actually turn around. It's like, stop it go the other way. And I fully believe in repenting. I'm not going to ever justify my sin. I don't, I don't have, uh, I don't stand firm in my sin. We're called to repent. And when you see Jesus encountering people, it says, sin no more. He doesn't say, now go and feel sorry for like two weeks and then come back to me. It's like, go sin no more. And so I just want to clarify that, that we believe in repentance here. <laughs> that if you fall, if you uh, succumb to temptation that it's not a time to wallow and feel shameful, that, that God doesn't partner with shame to bring you back to him. We don't believe that. We ask uh, Proverbs twenty four sixteen for a righteous man falls seven times but gets back up again. We just say get back up, put the blood of Jesus on it, and turn around. So just so you guys know, we officially stand on that topic. So anyways, that's not what I'm here to talk to you about, but I could talk about that for a long time. What I am here to talk about is something that I actually wasn't told for a very long time, which is the mind of Christ. We have these Christian cliche, cliches that we have no idea what it means, but, but the mind of Christ is the best thing that you may never have known that you have. And I'm going to walk you through what the mind of Christ is and what it means and the implications for your life tonight. And you need to know at the very beginning that there's a battle for your mind. There's a battle for your mind. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. So as he thinks within himself, so he is. You become what you dwell on. The thoughts of your mind are influencing your future. Your thoughts are not insignificant. So as he thinks within himself, so he is. I firmly believe that no other area in your entire life will determine who you are and what you do and who you become more than what you think, 
We're not talking about new age stuff here. We're not going to like walk over fire coals or cool stuff like that because I'd like to do that. No. We're going to talk about the spiritual significance of your mind because it's a battleground for your transformation. What you think and what you believe determines everything. For my life, that is where everything originates and where it heads is from my mind. And because of this, God gave you the most incredible asset in the mind of Christ. And we'll read the description in the passages ahead about the mind of Christ. But having the mind of Christ is not just the only incredible thing about it. It's what the mind of Christ does. The mind of Christ does one powerful thing, and it gives you revelation. Not revelation in terms of like the Bible, the back of the book, right? Revelation, it's about connecting to the thoughts of God. And I can tell you for certain that the devil does not want you to listen tonight, does not want you to listen, I might do a couple nights on this, does not want to listen to this if this becomes a series, does not want you to pay attention tonight Because if you do, if you really apply the truth that's hidden for us here in the scriptures is that you will take back a significant battleground that the enemy tries to use against you. You don't need to have all this willpower. You don't need to go to all these different things. Those are are great instruments in helping our growth. If you want to go to the deepest, most direct source in your victory, you start at your mind and what you believe and what you think. And when you begin to use the mind of Christ, you'll close every open door that the enemy insists on having open in your life. It's not about your flesh, it's about your mind. Think about back to the Garden of Eden. The trick that the enemy used was against the mind. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? The temptation against Jesus, Satan again, on top of the building or or vantage point says, if you really are the son of God, questioning identity in the mind. The enemy knows that what you think will determine who you become, where you go. And And if the enemy can influence your mind, he can take over your life. So part of having the mind of Christ is taking authority over what you believe and think. So why don't we do that tonight? Because we can tell our mind what to think. I do that all the time. So say to yourself tonight, self, I make a decision right now to rewrite my thinking. Amen. All right. So what is revelation? So the mind of Christ produces revelation. Revelation is the unveiling of spiritual realities, truths, and the thoughts of God. Let me say that again. Revelation is the unveiling are the spiritual realities, the truths, and the thoughts of God. I wish we had the scriptures here, so I'm going to read them to you. I'll try to keep them concise here for you. But let's look at a couple examples of the mind of Christ. This is 1 Corinthians 2.10. I'm going to read it for you. It says, these are the things that God has revealed. Everyone say revealed. These are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Pause. Where's the spirit of God? In you. That was like, I I could preach every week on that the spirit of God is in you. (laughs) Every week. What we've received, this is verse 12, 
is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand. Everyone say understand. So that we may understand what God has freely given us. And this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the, the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? That's in quotations. He's quoting, who has known the mind of the Lord? And it responds, but we have the mind of Christ. When you pull the key words in, Paul, the writer, has got a lot of, like, can we get a period somewhere in here, please? Like, he always uses, like, commas, and, you know, it just keeps on running on this so deep and thick. But if you notice the words, all things, understanding, explaining, revealing. And so revelation is how you discern the Spirit. It's how you hear God's voice. It's how you activate the prophetic. It's how you are filled with faith. It's how you walk in the supernatural. All those go to the watershed of revelation. And revelation comes from having the mind of Christ. And where do you get the mind of Christ? It's from your salvation. Number two is this, is that revelation is a birthright. If you believe in Jesus, have been forgiven of your sins, you've been united with him, you are a son and a daughter of God. John 1.12 says, To all who believed him, to those who proclaim his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In your salvation comes the right to have revelation through the mind of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.16 says this, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, salvation, the veil is lifted. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is lifted. Hearing God's voice belongs to God's children. John 8.47 says, whoever belongs to God hears what God says. I don't hear from God. It's not what the word says. Revelation is part of the Holy Spirit. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. This is John 16, 13. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. In your salvation, in your adoption, and in the Spirit that you have, you can't escape it. God is like making sure there's no wiggle room, no loopholes, that you have the mind of Christ and you have revelation. And remember how last week we learned to pray not wimpy prayers, but warrior prayers, prayers filled with faith? This is where you take authority in your life and say, I have the mind of Christ for this. I have the mind of Christ and I walk boldly into my day because I know that I'm equipped. You can't get any better than the mind of Christ. Can we just admit that? Number three is this. Revelation's purpose, Revelation's purpose is to bring transformation. Revelation's purpose is to bring transformation. The purpose of Revelation is not to make you smarter, like, oh, this is a fun fact what I just got. It's not that. That doesn't exclude that. But the purpose of Revelation is to bring transformation. It's not to fill you with knowledge for knowledge's sake, 
But Romans 12.2 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you renew your mind, you'll be transformed. Why haven't I been transformed? Well, maybe because you're thinking the exact same way. The same thinking produces the same results. The same way of thinking will never produce a different way of living. Why am I not transformed? Have you changed your mind? No. It could be there. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You will not have transformation if your thinking is the same. The problem is it took me a long time to renew my mind because you can get saved but not have a renewed mind. You can have salvation but not walk in a renewed mind and be transformed by it. Now do you see why the devil doesn't want you to know this? When you renew your mind, you transform. And revelation produces transformation. And the more you transform, the harder it is for the devil to take the ground back. The further you dive deeper into your relationship with God, the more difficult it is for the enemy to claw his way back into your life. And he's kind of lazy. He's going for the low-hanging fruit. But don't mistake the transformation for being head knowledge because revelation doesn't make you smarter. It does something spectacular. It's Ephesians 1, 7. It says this. I keep asking, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, awesome, so that you may know him better. Revelation is for transformation. What's that transformation for? So you would know God better. The goal of revelation, the goal of having the mind of Christ is that you have deeper encounters with Jesus. Not to make you smarter, but to give you deeper insight into the mind, the personhood, the mechanism in which you have deep, profound encounters with God. And the more you know someone, the deeper the relationship is. My closest friends wouldn't even bother with small talk. It's like, hey, what's up? So what are you struggling with this week? It's like, can you just like ask me how the weather is or something? Like, no. The deeper the relationship, the more you know someone, the deeper the relationship. But why is culting, why does it make a difference to cultivate relationship with God now? Here's why is that heaven is not just about not dying. Heaven's not just about living forever. It's not about having a cloud, having a harp, having like, you know, the, the gold streets and going on walks. That's not what heaven's about. You know what eternal life is about? John 17, 3. This is eternal life. Read what it says. This is eternal life that you would know God. That know there, it's got a little, you know what I'm saying, No. Adam knew Eve, you know what I'm saying? Marital, no. I'm teaching the Bible, man. I can't help your mind. The Bible has given us this clearing of the throat that to know God is this radical intimacy, know God. 
Not a Wikipedia, no God. Not a, oh, I think he did this and that. Not a head knowledge God, but an intimate no God. This is eternal life, that you would be fused, that you would be one and know God so intimately like a husband knows a wife and a wife knows a husband. That's what eternal life is. You're thinking you're going to get your wings, play Cupid a little bit. You got something coming because heaven is about you being face to face with God. And the best way for you to bring heaven on earth is to cultivate your deep relationship with God here now. Every step you take in developing your relationship with God here is bringing heaven to earth. You're advancing what is going to take place there. We used to be part of a um, group, and there's like complaining, like, oh, the worship's so long. Worship's so long. And it's like, if you get a problem with worship, you're going to have a problem with heaven because I think there's a lot of it up there. Maybe you don't like worship because you don't like what worship is worshiping. Just saying. I don't blame you. I, actually, I do blame you now because I know better now. We're going to get into the character and heart of God later this year, but back to this. Is that Revelation is the vehicle in which you develop deeper relationship with the Father. You've been given the mind of Christ to have revelation so you can develop deep, profound relationship with your Creator. And Revelation transforms others. We're all about personal transformation, but the reason that God transforms you personally is so that you can transform others. Remember that Revelation is the foundation for discernment, for hearing God's voice, activating the prophetic, walking in the supernatural. But transformation is the greatest evangelical tool ever. You don't need to come up with like a bit. I took apologetics in college. It's like, I'm going to convince everyone of God. You know how many people I've convinced of God from that class? Nada. People actually don't really want to hear your 46 reasons for God. I took intelligence design. I love science. I don't actually love science. I love that class and like bringing science and, and creation together. It's fascinating. But no one gives a flying loop about it. They're like... So you cannot appeal to someone's reason for salvation because even if you do, their salvation, their faith is going to be totally based upon reason. All someone needs to do is to mess up their faith is just come up with a better argument. It's not sustaining. And so I transformed nobody from my clever arguments. I thought, oh, I'm going to reason all these people in. But Paul, when he went to the church in Corinth, into Corinth, he didn't use words of wisdom, did he? Here's what he says. 1 Corinthians 2 says, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of our God. For I determined that I know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words or apologetics or clever arguments. If you know me, I love to debate, unfortunately. But in demonstrations in power so that your faith would not rest upon the wisdom of men but on the power of God. When you have a revelation, particularly a revelation for somebody else, there's no denying it. There's times I'm like, oh man, like we just discovered a ninth planet. Oh, like 
is God really real? Like, you know, like, you, if you get trapped into all this, like, logical stuff, like, arguments, like, you'll find yourself, like, really challenged your faith. And then you just, like, need to think back, whoa, but that one time, here's my pivot point in my faith. I, uh, here's a fun little story. Believe it or not, I used to play piano, I used to lead worship at a black Pentecostal church in Santa Barbara. He's blessed in the city, you know, for like four hours. <laughs> it's forever. I wasn't singing. I was just playing, but like the, the lead singer guy is like there. And, and when you're playing, like the person who's leading, like they'll do like this to like keep on going. It's like, like my fingers are falling off and he's like still doing this. I'm like, let's stop, you know. And I played because I loved music and it was like cool. I love preaching when people yell apparently at that time. It was fascinating for me. But it wasn't until that pastor, in an altar call, he told me my secrets. He says, I hear the Lord saying, I see you. And he painted the exact picture of my life. Told me like what was on the walls. Now, I can get thrown off base by some clever argument, but you will never be able to pull me off that mountaintop experience. I will never question whether God's legitimate because I stood there and I witnessed the power of God right before me. But we do it the opposite way. We try to convince people. And why are we surprised when people reject God for using human reasoning? If you have someone, according to the wisdom of man, their faith will always be dependent upon better or different wisdom. And Paul said that he came without knowledge and he used revelation to to demonstrate power. Here's what this means. Paul showed up as a stranger and he's like, you, here's everything about you. Here's what God thinks about you. You, this is your destiny. And he brought the church to salvation, not through, so there's this guy, he wore robes and he had a beard and he always carried sheep and... He's like, I knew Jesus crucified, and that was it. I demonstrated power among you. I've seen this firsthand, too. I'm still waiting for my experience where I get to call out someone like that. But I was in El Salvador with Shayla Brown, a whole group, our first time in El Salvador. And uh, so we're there, and we're, like, going house to house and just, like, talking to people. And so there's this guy, and he was, like, not interested in talking to us at all. He was, like, and El Salvador has like the second highest murder rate in the world, and we're like going door to door. Hi. And Shayla asks, tell me about your dead brother. Bold. You would think this guy had just pooed his pants at that moment. He like jumped up, eyes perked, just left. Now, we need a translator at this point. We're like, well, that went over well. What happened? We're stumbling across trying to get like, what happened here? And you know what happened is that this man had his brother who died 14 years ago and hasn't talked about him since. No one knows this man had a dead brother. And he left to go to his brother's grave. He was like so spooked, he just had to go back there. You can't tell me that God doesn't use powerful exchanges like that. That only happens through revelation. 
to making your mind available to say, God, what would you say about this person? And to bring it to them and say, God, I'm just, I'm the messenger. And here's what I learned about that is that I wanted to give other people an encounter similar like that, but that was a time in my faith where I wasn't having encounters myself. I learned something really valuable is you can't give someone an encounter if you aren't capable of an encounter yourself. So that time I was like, dang, God can drop some awesome, very specific things, and I want some of that. And so that's when I contended for revelation. Finally, number four is this, is that revelation is a choice. Revelation is a choice. Every Christian has the mind of Christ, but not every Christian receives revelation. Every Christian has the mind of Christ, but not every Christian receives revelation. It's like just because you own a Ferrari doesn't mean you have to drive it. That's how it is for many Christians, this untapped, unused, amazing resource. A Christian who doesn't use revelation is like an undriven Ferrari in a garage. It's like a total waste. You have the mind of Christ, you have revelation, and it's parked in the garage. What is it doing there? But I'm not smart enough to hear from God. I need to go to school to hear from God. I need to like become better at theology. And some people think that you have to have like this, you know, totem pole rank to hear from God. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew 10. It says, so do not be afraid of them. Who's them? The Pharisees, the rulers, all the people. They would like glue boxes on their head with the word. Because the word says, do not let the book law depart from your head. It's like glued it on. Following the law, strict. Here they are. They've been trained to recognize the Messiah. And the Messiah stands before them. And they have no idea who it is. And then Jesus says to the unemployed fisherman who never caught a fish unless Jesus was there. Look it up in the Bible. You never see disciples catching fish unless Jesus is there. They weren't good fishermen either. (laughs) Jesus says, so do not be afraid of them, all the smart people, for there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Intelligence is not a requirement to receive revelation. You could argue the disciples were some of the least intelligent people today, but Jesus told them everything. It puzzles me too, because I don't have a theology degree. I didn't I went to school, but I didn't like learn to study the Bible, and I'm I'm finding things in the scriptures that I'm sure are not unique to me, but no one who I respect, who I follow, like the great theologians, like why am I finding these like nuanced things that these big theologians aren't? I know I'm not the first, but then I'm like, well, why should it be surprising to me? Because I have the mind of Christ. Why do I have this like artificial pedestal for everyone who's qualified or licensed to do these kinds of things to have all the revelation? I was like, I don't care what you have or what you don't have. And so receiving revelation is a conscious choice to participate in the thoughts of God. Think of it this way. You have the mind of Christ, right? We're all settled on that. 
Would God give you the mind of Christ and not have it have any thoughts? I've got the mind of Christ. Well, does it think any thoughts? Nope. Is it defective? <laughs> Is there a rebate on that thing? If you're not hearing what God is saying, it's not because he isn't speaking. God is speaking. The question is, are you listening? The question isn't whether or not God is speaking. The question is, are you listening? And here's what I learned about when I finally found out how to hear the voice of God. One, it was in wildly different ways than I thought, and I'll teach on that some other time. But this is what became apparent. Why was it so hard for me to finally develop the ability to hear and was, the answer was this, that it's very hard to hear something you aren't listening for. Amen. It is very hard to hear something you aren't listening for. Here's the other thing that convicted me too. And the notion of, well, I don't hear God. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you want to? So I was okay with the fire insurance salvation. It's like, got my card. No fuego for me. I was totally fine for that. And then I get, you know, oh, the people who hear from God, like, man, they're really weird. Or, you know, like, I had weird connotations, which some were justified, a lot weren't justified. But it, it begged the question, do you even want to hear from God? Do you even want to hear his voice? I wasn't sure I could answer yes. I was afraid of what it was. I didn't know what that means. Am I going to become weird? I don't want to become weird. <laughs> and what I learned is that I had forever, I was like, I got the fire insurance Christianity, and God doesn't speak to me because when I would say that, I was trying to define a line like, I'm not weird. God doesn't speak to me, and I'm okay with that. You should not be okay if God doesn't speak to you. In fact, you're actually speaking a curse over yourself because the word says, my children hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. Those who belong to God hear what God says. You actually don't know what you're saying when you say that. You're actually going against what the Bible explicitly says. But it's, ah, God doesn't talk to me. doesn't bother me. And I put a curse over my faith because every single time I'd listen for God, it's like, well, I guess you're going to not say something again to me. If you're going into, God, I'm ready to hear your voice, but I don't think you talk to me, you're probably not going to hear anything. Because you have told your ears not to believe, not to have faith. We saw last week, Romans 4, 14, 23, whatever is not from faith is sin. It's difficult to receive revelation while there's doubt in your mind about God speaking to you. And God revealed to me in this time is that lies are always louder than truth. Lies are always louder than truth. So in the coming weeks, I'm going to share with you about the ways to receive revelation and learning about how I began to cultivate what, for me, 
other ways that God connects with me because for me to say, oh, it's just simply like this, is to make God a duplicator, not a creator. I don't think that God just speaks in one way. Many ways, it depends upon you, and I encourage you guys to be part of Sarah Forte, small group on hearing the voice of God. If, you, if this like is turning your switch, like you need to plug in and dive deep into this. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but here's the one very specific way that this has transformed my life. The devil has this like really tricky game with me that if he can get me to think a thought, I take ownership of it. I take responsibility from every thought that goes in my head. I thought that's what you believe. I thought it, it's in my head, I'm guilty. I thought it's in my head, I'm guilty. We think that every single thing that comes into us belongs to us. You look at Judas before Judas betrayed Jesus, and the wording is so interesting. And when Satan entered his heart, all the time there's a battle for my mind. Several years ago, I came to the conclusion that hmm, I have the mind of Christ. Can the mind of Christ think these thoughts? You guys look scared right now. Can the mind of Christ have a sinful thought? This is not a hard question. No. But we're all terrified of that, aren't we? You have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ cannot have a sinful thought, a bad thought. I have bad thoughts. What do I do? I grew up in the Northwest, out in the countryside. I loved redneck jokes, Jeff Foxworthy. Yes, huh? Probably my favorite one ever was... <laughs> If your dog passes gas and you claim it, you might be a redneck. <laughs> exactly. If the enemy plants a thought in your mind and you claim it, the devil has deceived you. Just because it wound up in my mind, like... A few nights ago, I'm like, whoa, what is this? And normally I'd like beat myself up and like, oh, I need to like, you know, what's wrong with me? How dare I? Like, it, it's crazy. Like pictures, scenarios, things like that doesn't belong to me. Why on earth would I ever consider such a scenario? And I remember like, oh, I have the mind of Christ. That's not me. That does not originate or belong in me. So the word says that you are dead to sin, right? You are dead to sin. So when those thoughts come in, two things now happen. I play dead. I'm dead. I'm not even going to acknowledge that. Because what the devil wants to do is he wants to provoke you and get you to think on it and take the bait. And if you dwell on it, he wins. If you take responsibility for it, he wins. So now I'm like, just because it originates or just because it, it comes to my mind doesn't mean I need to take ownership of it. 
I take authority over it. Say, you are trespassing thought. I have the mind of Christ. It's impossible for you to be in my mind. And I'm not going to think about you anymore. That simple battleground for my mind transforms my entire life on a daily basis. Instead of beating myself up and like, you're, you're never going to be able to have the, the, the position where the enemy completely leaves you alone. As long as you're a threat in the kingdom, you're going to be a target in the kingdom. It's just part of it. I saw a quote the other day. It's like, if you don't go face to face with the devil every now and then, you might be going the same direction. So that's a good point. So I don't take offense to it. It's like, even today, it was a battle today. For whatever reason. Maybe because it was like tonight and this is a significant topic. But saying, you know what? I don't have to give you permission to occupy space in my thoughts and in my mind and I evict you. I take authority over you. So here's what I want to just leave you with tonight. I'm going to close with this. Maybe the band, if you guys are still able to play, you can come up and we'll transition to a time where we pray and, and uh, have a good time together. But as this is to walk in the knowledge to know that the mind of Christ is your birthright. It comes with your salvation. It is your personal belonging possession the mind of Christ, that you didn't have to earn. You didn't have to try to have. And that entitles you to being revealed to spiritual realities, truths, and the thoughts of God. Do you even want to hear from God? Would you reflect on that tonight? If you've never heard from God, the first question is, do I want to hear from God? The other question related to that is, would your life respond to if God spoke to you? That was the other convicting thing is that I feel God kind of hinted to say, I would have spoke, but you wouldn't have listened at that time. Have it in your heart to say, God, I'm available for you to speak, and I listen. I want to hear. I want to know. And that the, the aim, the purpose of Revelation is for transformation. Transformation for you and transformation for everyone around you. And that is 100% available to you if you decide and you choose. John 3, 34 says this, that God gives the spirit without limit. God gives the spirit without limit. The only limit is your appetite. I love you guys. Thanks for being here tonight. That's good.